But tonight, I wanted to look at Ezekiel chapter 3. And uh, really, the key to this chapter uh, is contained for us over in uh, verses 16 and 17 where Ezekiel, uh, describing this event that took place in his life, writes, It came to pass at the end of seven days that the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, I have made you a watchman for the house of Israel. Therefore, hear a word from my mouth and give them warning from me. Uh, A watchman uh, really had very limited responsibilities, but his responsibilities were extremely crucial. In those days, uh, obviously in Israel, most of the land was open for uh, grazing herds. Uh, Some of the land would be walled off if it was uh, uh, the land that would be used for farming, raising crops, vineyards. Uh, And the only place that people could go really to gain refuge if the people were under attack were what the Old Testament refers to as fortified cities. You'll see that mentioned several times through the Old Testament, fortified cities. And they would go there and everyone would go inside those large cities. And the cities would be surrounded by walls that at that time really were almost indestructible. They, they were made out of huge boulders and, and masonry work, and they would have rows of timbers that would be placed in them periodically so that as things shifted and moved, uh, those, those timbers would serve almost as shock absorbers. Uh, they, they really had their technology down for the materials that they had to use at that time. And everybody would gather inside. They would have had storehouses full of water and and food, enough to keep them, hopefully, for the length or duration of a siege, because that's the way most of the cities were taken. uh, We read of battles, but for the most part, the way wars were decided and won was an invading army would come and lay siege to a city, one of these fortress cities, and basically try to wait out their opponents until they ran out of food and they ran out of water and surrendered. And uh, so they would have... Uh, when they knew that a a problem was coming, that there was a potential for an invasion, they would place up on these walls, many of these walls large enough, certainly to even have a chariot, you know, running around the top of the wall, Uh, but certainly large enough that they could have many people up on top of this wall, and they would have one individual that they would call the watchman. And the watchman's whole purpose was to do just what his name suggests, to be watchful, to be looking out over the horizon and looking to see any evidence of a foreign power, an invading army coming to threaten them. And once they saw any evidence that suggested an attack was imminent, their whole responsibility was to warn the people, to warn them. And you and I, as New Testament believers, will look at this tonight too. We have been encouraged as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, members of the household of God. In fact, Paul the Apostle writes, we are like living stones being built up into the temple of the living God. 
we are at the same time, we are to be watchful. Watchful in all things. Because just as in the days of old, a city for its riches or perhaps for its uh, geographical location, uh, its importance to trade or whatever the case may be, every fortified city lived with a constant threat over it and they were aware that what they had, someone else would want to take. What they were experiencing, someone else would want to come in and steal it away. And so they would have watchmen that were alert to that and trained to warn, trained to warn. And usually that's where those shofars would come in, those ram's horns. And a certain blowing of the ram's horn would, would bring a warning. Another blow on the ram's horn would call certain individuals to alertness, perhaps right to the wall or to some sort of battle station, but it would call them to prepare for imminent attack. And again, we in the church, we've been exhorted to be watchful. Why? Because the church has an enemy. And the church is constantly under assault. And here's the problem. For many of us, the, the, the idea of being a watchman, we, we can kind of wrap our minds around that, and we're looking outside the church for the potential of trouble for the attack of the enemy. That which is outside the church is really no threat to us at all. The threat the church faces is the deterioration from within. And we've got to become watchful. We've got to be watchful. And it's not that we keep an eye on one another and play Holy Spirit in one another's life. We don't need to do that. If we would all simply be watchful of our own hearts, our own attitudes, our own thought life, if each of us were to just, as they used to say in the old English pubs, mind our P's and Q's, piece of useless information. Minding your P's and Q's was what a bartender would tell the frequenters to a tavern, watch your pints and quarts. In other words, be careful how much you drink. Mind your P's and Q's. Don't I sound smart? Huh? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I love to read history, so I, I learn all this stuff. So that, that is something that we all have to do. We have to kind of mind our P's and Q's, you know. In other words, what are we taking in? What are we taking in? Uh, there are certain things that we ought not take anything in of. There are other things that we can take in, but we ought to really exercise some moderation, right, and make sure that nothing dominates more than the Holy Spirit and the Word of God. And uh, so... Let's look at uh, Ezekiel chapter, uh, again, 3, and, and look at it from that perspective. It says, moreover, he said to me, and remember, Ezekiel, yeah, he's an interesting man because he's a prophet to the nation of Israel, but he's not in Israel. He has been a part of that group that has been taken into captivity, and he's in captivity in Babylon. Remember the first uh, the first uh, seizure of, of, of the people of Israel was the northern ten tribes being taken into captivity uh, by Sennacherib and the Assyrians. And they led that, that ten tribes of Israel into captivity because of their idolatry, their rebellion against the things of God. That should have served as a warning to Judea that was made up of two different tribes, Judah and Benjamin, 
uh, primarily, and they had years to have seen the impact of, of the choices of the Northern Ten Tribes. They saw the result of it with them being taken into captivity. They refused to learn their lesson, and so they also came under attack years after the Northern Ten Tribes were taken. The southern two tribes were, were invaded and attacked by Babylon under Nebuchadnezzar. He did not destroy the city on his first visit. He did not take everyone into captivity at his first visit. There's at least two different times that the Babylonians surrounded and took hostages from the city of Jerusalem, from the nation of Judah. Uh, the first time, one of the people that were taken into captivity was Ezekiel. And Ezekiel, again, he's interesting because he is a prophet. All right, the scripture tells us clearly that he is a prophet. Another interesting role that he had, though, was he was also a priest. He was legally a member of the priesthood. And so he's one of those men in scripture that, that holds those two offices of a, of a prophet and a priest. Uh, if you look at somebody like King David, King David also held the office of a prophet. But he did not hold the office of a priest. He held the office of a king. Right? And as you go through the Old Testament, it's sort of fun to keep track of that. The different individuals that were in leadership, what their roles were. And you will see someone that might have been a prophet. You will see another who was just a priest. You will see one who was a king. You will see some that were prophet and priest or king and prophet, but you will never see one individual who is king, prophet, and priest. Because that role could only be fulfilled by the Son of God, Jesus Christ. He's the only one that could fulfill all three of those roles and be accepted by God the Father. And so this comes to uh, Ezekiel while he is in captivity. Uh, his name means God's strengthens or strengthened by God. And certainly Ezekiel in his circumstance was one who needed to be strengthened by God. And his message to the people primarily was one that uh, if they were to survive, then they needed to draw not on the strength and the provision of the Babylonians, not the strength or the provision of their own heritage, but the strength and the provision of Almighty God's presence with them. Repentance, turning back to him and, and trusting him. And so moreover, he said to me, son of man, Eat what you find. Eat this scroll and go speak to the house of Israel. And it's interesting here, this man whom God is going to establish as a watchman as well, a priest, a prophet, and a watchman. Uh, he, he, the first thing he directs him to do is to, to digest something. I want you to digest my word. It always seems to begin there, doesn't it? that it, we, we all have come to Christ, and we've come to Christ by the hearing of the Word of God and placing our faith in the God of the Word, and we discover that we become a new creation in Christ Jesus, and the old has been put off, and we become brand new. And, and at that moment, we, we discover that a relationship with God through faith in Jesus Christ must be established and built upon the written Word of God. 
And yet I, I know that there are times and seasons in our life when our, our relationship with the Lord through the Word, you know, there, there are times when it's really wonderful and strong and we're taking it in. And then there are other times when we become lax and we become indifferent, we become spiritually lazy perhaps, and we stop reading the Scripture every day. We, we stop meditating on the Scripture, studying the Word of God. And then we discover when we have opportunity to be a watchman, to warn, to speak up about the things of God and the concerns that God has for the body of Christ, we can discover that we have nothing to say. Or we can discover that we think we do have something to say and we speak it out and nobody listens. There's no authority behind it. And I think that that may describe many of us, especially in our relationship with people who don't know Jesus Christ, or maybe have made some profession of faith in Christ, and yet, for whatever reason, they've, they've drifted away, and they're no longer going to church, no longer reading their Bibles or praying, and, and we want to warn them. You, you see, the thing is that the watchman had to believe the message he was delivering. For him to go down off of that wall and say, hey, the enemy is coming and the enemy's not coming, nobody's going to believe him. Or if he sees the enemy coming, but he continues in a lifestyle of not being prepared and readied for that to respond, you know, in a responsible way to it, then why should anyone else believe him? And I think that that may be the, the problem that we have in the church today. We're telling people they must be born again, but we're not showing them the benefit of being born again by our lifestyle. We're telling them they must receive forgiveness, but we don't seem to have the same burden concerning our sin as God does, and we simply make excuses for it. We, 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 we tell them, hey, there's only one way. But, but our life is, is all over the globe, you know. We're willing to take in and be influenced by almost anything. And we don't have this uniqueness and this singleness of vision and direction that the Holy Spirit wants to give us through the Word of God. And uh, so we, no wonder people just kind of look at us and say, why should we listen to you? Why should we listen to you? I don't know whether you've experienced it in your life or not, but uh, I have, where there are certain individuals that, that can share something from the Scripture, and it has absolutely no impact on my heart. It doesn't challenge me. It, it, it doesn't impact me. It doesn't, it, it, it doesn't demand change from me. It kind of leaves me in a place where I can kind of say, well, okay, yeah, I know and walk away. Another individual can come and share the exact same verses of Scripture, and it cuts me like a knife. What's the difference? The difference is the Holy Spirit. That's the difference. It's the Holy Spirit that brings conviction. And the Holy Spirit, remember, is holy, which means he doesn't like to use vessels that are unholy. <laughs> you know, he likes to hang out with holy vessels and work through holy vessels and speak through holy vessels. And the church today, we need to understand that the world around us, those that reject Christ, they need to know that there is an authority that is absolute. They need to know that there's an authority that is absolutely true. 
They need to know that there is an authority that is absolutely dependable and never changes. An authority that never lies, always fulfills his promises. They need to know that there is an authority that cares for them. They need to know that there's an authority that's able to do more than they might ever dream or ask. And they need to understand that that authority is the Lord Jesus Christ. And the only representation that Jesus Christ, our King of kings and Lord of lords, has here on planet earth is the Holy Spirit in the church. The church should be the body of people with the greatest authority that the world has ever seen. And yet. And yet. And, and we need to understand it's, it's not the Lord's fault. It's not just a dispensation we're going through. It, it, it isn't a failure of the word. It isn't that the Lord is out of touch, you know, or his truth, his scripture. Uh, his, his spirit is, is, you know, not hip any longer and, and unable to relate to the young people. What a lie. What a bunch of nonsense. No one can relate to more people <laughs> than God. You know, if, if somebody says, well, I just can't relate to it, it's not his problem. It's their problem. Their hearts are hard. And the only way to break through a hardened heart is by speaking the truth in love under the power of the Holy Spirit. It's the only way. We have to eat the Word of God. We have to take it in. And, and that's more than memorizing it. Memorizing it is wonderful. It's awesome. I wish I hadn't spent so many years wasting so many brain cells, you know, with, with alcohol and all the rest of that. And it's just a thrill to watch young people memorizing Scripture and, and getting it locked away in their heart. That's a good start. But now they've got to become doers of it. They've got to become doers of it. For you and I, at this point in our life, eat the Word of God. Take it in. And again, that's more than just a passing quick read of it. If you eat something, you chew on it, you taste it, you masticate. Wow, huh? There's your word, masticate. And, and you digest it. And it has to go through all of the digestive processes to, to then finally and ultimately become a source of strength and nourishment for your body so that your body operates in a healthy way. We have to have the same relationship with the scripture. We've got to take it in daily. We've got to chew on it, think it over, pray over it, meditate on it. Then begin to uh, uh, take it into our life by finding ways, being, being purposeful and saying, okay, I read this, that I'm supposed to eat what I find. I want to fit, Lord, how do I do that? And I begin to do it. Tomorrow morning, I'm going to eat the word of God. I'm going, to, I'm going to purpose. I'm going to change my schedule. I'm going to change my routine. I'm going to break the old habits. And I'm going to do whatever is necessary to make sure that when I get up, before I have breakfast, I'm going to eat the word of God. I'm going to feed on the scripture because God, by his grace, has made that a priority to me. Has he made it a priority for you? And you'll know. If, if there's a hundred reasons why you can't do it, even though you want to, then it's not a priority. 
you got to make it a priority. Well, you don't know how early I have to get up. Well, go to bed earlier. Make it a priority. Give up something so that you have the time and the energy and the alertness first thing in the day to say, God, what do you have to say to me today? I need to hear from you. I need direction from you. If we're going to be watchful, we need to know what we're watching for. And if we're going to be watchmen on the wall, we need to be people with discernment. And let me tell you, you will not have discernment if you are not daily in the Word. You will not have discernment. You'll have a feeling, and sometimes that might be right, but you will not have biblical discernment until the Word of God is written on your heart. And God called Ezekiel, this prophet, this priest, whom he wanted to make into a watchman. Isn't it something? I mean, I would have been satisfied with priest. I think I would have looked pretty good in one of those robes, you know? One of those turbans and hanging out slaughtering cows all day long and taking home a nice chop every once in a while, you know? (laughs) That would have been a good job. Or being a prophet. Doesn't that sound inviting? Thus saith God. I could do that up on the mountaintop, lightning bolts, thunder, earthquakes, you know, the whole, the whole nine. Come down, everybody be so impressed with me. That would be awesome. A priest and a prophet, and God says to Ezekiel, I have something more important for you to do right now. I want you to forget about the priesthood. I want, I want you to forget for a moment that you're a prophet. I need a watchman. Now, and, and it's interesting. As a pastor, you know, it's a question I have to ask all the time. Lord, what does the church need today? Not what does the church want. It doesn't matter what we want. What do you, Father, see that we need what do we need? And I think Ezekiel's a good example. Do, do we need prophets? Yes, we do. Yeah. Do we need people that can break the word of God down and speak it with authority so that people can receive it and respond to it? Yes, we need that. But we need watchmen because the church is sleeping. The church is entertained. The church is as worldly as the world is. The only difference is we go to Bible studies. We need watchmen. And a watchman, you know, he's not up on the wall looking for the enemy to come and watching Fox News on TV. He's not up there concerned about his meal. He's not up there concerned about how he's dressed and how he looks. He's only concerned about one thing, that is the well-being of the people of God. And he's watching for anything out there that would be a threat to those whom God loves. We need watchmen. Watchmen, standing on the wall. Begins by eating the word of God and then speaking the word of God to the people of God. So he says, I opened my mouth and... He caused me to eat that scroll. And, and I like that too. And just to encourage you, you know, there, 
there are some people that say, well, you know, Pastor, I, I get it that you read the Word every day, and I get it that you love to read the Word. You have to do that because you're a pastor, but I don't like to read. Or reading's not easy for me. Or I read it and I don't get anything out of it, and it's frustrating to me. Listen, it's a very simple secret. Pray. Jesus said, I will send another comforter just like me. And when he comes, he will lead you into all truth. He will lead you into all truth. He will teach you all things. And he will bring to remembrance everything that I have taught you. Most Christians don't take that serious. That when you get up in the morning and you open your Bible, before you begin to read the Bible, you ought to pray to the one who wrote the Bible that he would give you the capacity to understand it. Ask him to. And then read. And if you don't get the understanding, stop and ask him again. And read it again. And if you still don't get it, stop, ask him again. And read it again. I don't think you'll have to go that many times. But ask him. Ask the Holy Spirit to show you the word of God for you today. Because you need it. We need it. If we're going to serve the Lord in this world, we need to know what he's telling us to do. We need to know his word. We need to know his heart. And so I opened my mouth and he caused me to eat that scroll. And the Lord will do that for you today. He'll, he'll open up his word to you and and, and he will make it a joy for you to read. And, and you, you will become so appreciative of what the word of God can do and the way you think and, and, and the things you desire and how you live your life. And he said to me, son of man, feed your belly. In other words, don't, don't make this just a surfacey relationship. I really want you to take it in. Chew it up. Take it in. Let it become a part of you. Fill your stomach with the scroll that I give you. Take it into the deepest parts of you. And so Ezekiel was faithful. So I ate and it was in my mouth like honey and sweetness. Isn't that something? And, and Ezekiel didn't have the Gospels. He didn't have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. You know, he didn't have the excitement of the book of Acts. He had things like Deuteronomy and Numbers and Leviticus and Exodus and Genesis. Now when you read those five books, is it as sweet as honey in your mouth? Not unless the Holy Spirit is opening it up to you and showing you in it and showing the love of God to you in it. And then it will become sweet to you. It will become sweet. The Bible is not dry. It's not a dry book. It's a living book. And it is sweet if we allow the Holy Spirit to teach us. And you'll find yourself no longer thinking, well, I'm just going to blow by this, you know, five chapters in Chronicles because I can't pronounce one of these names and it's just boring to me. No, you know what you'll actually do? You'll stop and you'll think about, wait a minute, I read that name somewhere else. Who is this guy? And you'll start searching, where, where did I read it? He, oh, wait a minute, that guy, 
Yeah, that was the guy in Exodus. That was the guy in Numbers. And the Bible will start coming together for you. And it, you'll see it. It is one story. One story. With one author. And it's consistent all the way through. And, and it, will, it will open itself up to you if you pray and ask the Holy Spirit to do that. And it will be sweet. And then he said to me in verse 4, Son of man, now go to the house of Israel and speak with my words to them. Ezekiel, I don't want you to go to the house of Israel and give them your opinion or your thoughts or the thoughts of another human being, or another person. I want you to go, Ezekiel, now that you and I have been together, now that I have given you my word, now that you have taken my word, and eaten it, and digested it, now that it has become a part of you, I want you to go, and I want you to speak to my people the words that I have given to you. And again, that's another thing in our witness to people or even when we're trying to minister to one another. The last thing you ever want to say to anybody is, I think, or it is my opinion. Listen, my thoughts and my opinion have done nothing but lead me into sin. The only thing that has led me away from sin and into truth in life is, thus saith the Lord. This is what God said. And that's when we'll be effective. And listen, when you're witnessing to people and ministering to people, God is not obligated to anoint your opinion or your thoughts. The only thing we know that he has promised to anoint, promised to honor, and promised to see to it that it never returns void is his word. And so when somebody asks you a question or speaks to you, you know, you, you sit down and you say, okay, I hear you, uh, and, I, and I have an opinion, but you know what? Let's find out what our Creator has said. Let's, let's find out what God has said. And know the Bible well enough that you can open up the Scripture and say, this is what the Bible says concerning marriage. This is what the Bible says concerning raising children. This is what the Bible says concerning how we're to conduct ourselves in the workplace. This is what the Bible says about how we're to know God, how we're to worship God, how we're to serve God. How we're to relate with one another. This is what the Bible says about forgiveness. This is what the Bible says about standing up for ourselves. This is what the Bible says about correcting wrongs. This is what the Bible says. This is God's plan because let's be honest, that's why we're here, right? We're not here to simply say, well, we'll take this from the world because it's not bad and we'll take this from God because we need it. But we're here as ambassadors for Christ. We're here as sojourners and strangers. We're, we're not to be so familiar with the things of the world that that's the first thing that comes to mind. We ought to be so familiar with the things of God that that's the first thing that comes to mind. That should be the most natural thing. It's just, yeah, my father told me this. Yes, my Lord told me this this morning. Yes, the Lord showed me this the last time I went through this circumstance. This is what he showed me to do. And stand on the scriptures, stand on the word of God. He says, for you are not sent to a people of unfamiliar speech and of hard language, but to the house of Israel. 
We're, we're sent to a people that should understand the words of God. There, there are people that should be familiar with them. Not to many people of unfamiliar speech and of hard language, whose words you cannot understand. Surely, had I sent you to them, they would have listened to you. Sort of interesting, isn't it, Ezekiel? I'm not asking you to go out and evangelize. Right now, my people need your attention. And before my people can evangelize and take the truth to unbelievers, they've got to get their own house in order. And I think that's true for the church as well. I, I don't believe that we're done. I don't believe that there isn't going to be uh, some future revival. I, I hope that there is. You know, I pray for it personally every day. Lord, revive me. But I also understand that the church, is, as things are getting darker and more difficult out in the world, the church has got to do some house cleaning. And that begins with each of us personally. We, we, if we're going to be light, then we've got to get rid of the darkness in our own life. And if we're going to be salt, then, then we've got to make sure that we're not giving the people of the world permission to trample us underfoot. That we're here to serve the king. And we're not here to serve ourselves or anyone else. But the house of Israel, verse 7, will not listen to you because they will not listen to me. Isn't that sad? The people of God won't listen to the prophet of God because the people of God don't want to hear from God. And that's why we, we have to get back to what the Apostle Paul said to the church of Corinth. Remember, he, uh, he had learned his lesson when he was in Athens and he tried to speak to the people there in their own terms, their own language, their, their own cultural references and everything. And there was some uh, response to that, but not much. And when Paul left there, he, he went to Corinth. And, and when he wrote his letter to the Corinthian church to correct some things and to, to, to stay in touch with them. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, he said, I want you to remember something. He said, when I was with you, I, I was with you, and I didn't trust in, in language, but, but I purposed to know nothing amongst you but Jesus Christ and him crucified. He, he understood that that was his mission, that was his purpose. And if we're going to be watchmen, we need to understand that, that the primary focus and uh, subject of every conversation we have is, hey, Jesus is coming back soon. If you're a watchman at all, then you have got to know. Your heart has got to be stirred. Your thoughts have got to become unsettled, maybe even a bit excited, because all the evidence that I see all around us is Jesus Christ is coming back very soon. Very soon. How many of your family friends, family and friends, know that you believe that? How many of them know that we live in the light of that? These people live as if today's the last day they've got. 
These people care. Their, their, their commitment of these truths to us is so intense. They, they truly believe that Jesus is coming back and I could be in trouble. People that, that say, well, I, I, I'm really not confident and, and strong in sharing the gospel with people. You know, to you, I would say, you need to repent of that. Because your fear of man is greater than your love of God. Because God would have none to perish, but all to come to repentance. And if we love him, we'd have the same heart. And we'd not be so concerned about how people respond to us or what they think of us when we tell them, you need to be born again. You need to get right with God, and there's only one way to do that, and that's through faith in his son, Jesus Christ. If we can't tell people that, then how convinced of it are we? Well, it might offend them. It is going to offend them. The Bible makes no, makes no uh, you know, it doesn't apologize for that at all. It is an offense. It, it says that about itself. It's supposed to offend. The gospel, when it's rightly presented, should never make a person feel good about themselves. It should never pamper them. It should never make them feel like, oh, yes, I'm good. No, it should bring them right to the place where they have to look at their own sinfulness and their own hand in putting the Son of God on the cross. That's the purpose of the cross. That's the purpose of the gospel. The good news is that in spite of what we were, God has loved us and provided his son to die for us, and we can be forgiven. All we need to do is believe and repent. Believe and repent. But the house of Israel will not listen to you because they will not listen to me. For all the house of Israel are impudent. The idea is hard-headed. St literally, the words are strong at the forehead. <laughs> That's, that, they're hard-heads. They, they don't want to hear it. They don't want to know it. They're they, they just stubborn. They don't want to relinquish control of their life. And they are hard-hearted. Not only are they hard-headed, but they are hard-hearted. And boy, does that describe the culture in which we live? People are hard-headed. You know, think of it. Remember the response to 9-11. Remember the response to some of the tragedies that have taken place and the remorse and the fear and the concern of people that last for what? About 24 hours. And then they're right back to life as usual. That's hard-headed. Right? Hard-headed. I think some of you Italian folks, stunato. Right? That's... Is that the right word? Yeah, it is. Uh, it's just hard-headed and hard-hearted. Nothing impacts them unless it directly involves them. Right? And that's the, that's the times in which we live. The, the people of Israel during the days of Ezekiel are just like us, just like the people that we live in the midst of. So the Lord says in verse 8, Behold, I have made your face strong against their faces. Your face 
gives you away, right? I mean, your, your face is the, the outward expression of what's going on inside. And the Holy Spirit of God will give you the one thing that you think you don't have, and that is boldness. He will give you a strong face. If you're speaking for Christ. If you are defending righteousness. If you are lifting up Christ on the cross. If you are speaking the truth concerning sin and righteousness and judgment, the Holy Spirit will give you that boldness and strength of face that, that he's talking about here. I have made your face strong against their faces and your forehead. <laughs> I love this. He's already said, you guys are hard-headed. They don't listen. They don't want it. They're, they're hard-headed. Well, I'm going to make your head harder than theirs, Ezekiel. I'm going to give you such a stubbornness for the truth. Something that no one can, can shake your faith and confidence in. That when they laugh, when they mock, when they question, when they challenge, your faith is going to be so solid, so strong, that you're going to be able to say, this is what God said, and you've got to deal with it. I believe it. Right? We don't have to explain it. We don't have to defend it. Just tell them what God has said and leave the response to them because you want a genuine response from them. I would rather have someone flat out refuse it than pretend to accept it just to get me off their case. What good is that? I would rather have them argue with me than get all polite. You know, and you can always tell. I, when, when we go out someplace, I always talk to whoever I can talk to. Waiters, waitresses, doesn't matter. I'm, I'm going to make sure that they hear the name of Jesus before we leave there. It's just, I've always done that. It's a blast to do, by the way. And it's fun to watch how people respond. And you can tell the difference. You know, when, when you first bring up the name of Jesus, and, and usually I'll try to get the person before we leave alone so I can just tell them, listen, you know, uh, really appreciate you. Thank you for your service to us and everything. But I want you to know, that Jesus Christ died for you and, and he's looking for you to trust him. And you can tell right away where they're at. Oh, yeah, 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 thanks a lot. You have a good day too. Well, you know where they're at, all right? The person usually that just it kind of takes the wind out of their sails, they, there's nothing they can say right away. They don't know how to react to it. That's the person. Because you know the spirit is beginning to work in their heart. And, and you just stay with them until they get really uncomfortable, and then tell them again, Jesus loves you. I hope you get to know that and walk away. And you've planted a seed. You've planted a seed. And then you pray for that person, right? Because Paul says, some plant the seed, some water it. And, and we need to pray. Lord, raise up somebody to water that seed, to come back in and just reaffirm what I said. If they hear from two people that they've never met before, man, they're going to they're gonna start thinking, whoa, what's up? What's going on? And then, Lord, send somebody to harvest, to lead them to you. But pray for them. Be watchful. The people that are around you are not around you. The waiter that you get, the person at the grocery store who takes your money, that is not by accident. That's not simply because it's their job. It is a divine appointment. God has put you there as his child. 
And he's got a purpose. And we don't know all the specifics of every purpose and every event, but we do know certain things. God would have none to perish, but all to come to repentance. And so that tells me that I have the blessed privilege of everyone that I meet, make sure they hear the name of Jesus lifted up. Make sure they know what Christ did on that cross for them. And leave the result with God. Be watchful. Be alert. And life will become much more exciting for you. It really will. Every person you meet is an opportunity. <laughs> to have your own faith challenged, yeah. But also to see their life changed for eternity. You don't know. So, like adamant stone, verse 9, harder than flint, I have made your forehead. Do not be afraid of them. And the way to overcome the, the fear is to take in much of the love of God. It, the love of God casts out all fear, right? That's what John wrote. And so, if you want to overcome your fear of the opinion of people, then spend more time with the Lord. Spend more time just basking in his love, taking in his love, drinking in his love, taking in his word to give a foundation and a basis so that you have that to respond. Don't be afraid of them, nor be dismayed at their looks, you know, because you're going to get some looks. Yeah. Challenge you further. When you go out someplace, you go to a restaurant, you, wherever you're just going to be seated or whatever, take your Bible with you and just... Put it on a table. And I promise you that guy that brings you your water, the guy that comes to take your order, he's going to be looking at it. He's going to try to look like he's not looking at it, but he's going to be looking at it. And he's going to be wondering, what is this guy going to do with that thing? It's all right. They have no problem making us feel uncomfortable about our faith, right? Why not let the Bible do the talking? And if you catch them staring at it, say, hey, you ever read it? It's not hard to engage people in conversations. Most people out there are lonely. They're isolated. They just don't know how to enter into a conversation. We should have no problem doing that. And you don't have to be angry with them, hard on them. You don't have to insult them. Love them. And let them know that you genuinely are concerned. And you know what? Most people, if they know that you really care for them, they'll let you say almost anything to them. They'll receive it. If they don't think you respect them, or if they think you don't really care, then they're not going to listen. But if they know you really do care, they'll listen to what you have to say. So... Don't be dismayed at their looks, though they are a rebellious house. Moreover, he said to me, Son of man, receive into your heart all my words that I speak to you. Again, the importance of taking in the scripture, the word of God. Uh, take in to your heart 
all my words that I speak to you and hear with your ears. You see that phrase over and over again in the book of Revelation, the letters to the churches, right? He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. And, and, and God is saying this to Ezekiel. It's one thing to read the Bible, and we all ought to do that, and we all ought to become as proficient in understanding and applying the Scripture to our life as we possibly, possibly can. But we also ought to learn how to get still and quiet before the Lord and read a portion of Scripture and then wait for the Holy Spirit to speak to us and say, Jeff, this is what I have for you here. This is what I need to say to you here. This is where I need for you to apply this to your life. And it needs to become a living dialogue with a risen living Savior through the Holy Spirit. It needs to become that, and it can become that for anyone. That's not just for pastors and teachers. That's for every blood-bought child of God. It is, it is yours from your Father. But you have to take the time to let him speak to you. Uh, one of the things I've noticed, too, about the Lord, you know, everybody wants to hear him speak. We want to hear uh, his voice. Here's another secret for you. He, the Lord, he's not American. He is not. And, and he doesn't talk fast. And you can ask him a question and, you know, he might answer it today. He may not answer it today. He might not answer it until next week. And, and the thing is, I get frustrated with him. Lord, come on. You, I need to know this. Like he doesn't know what I need to know, right? <laughs> and, and the thing is, it's, it's not so much my desiring to know. It, it's my desiring to know him better. You know, there, there is a seeking after biblical knowledge that is a seeking just after biblical knowledge. And that can be prideful and very humanistic. But I want to know him. Isn't that what Paul the Apostle came to, right? For all of his resume, all that he had done, all that he had accomplished, all that God had done through his life, he said, you know what? I, it all comes down to this one thing, that I might know him. Just to know him. And, and make sure your time in the Word is for that purpose. Don't read the Bible just to get an answer that you can give to someone to correct them. For those of you that are teaching, don't read the Bible just to have a Bible study ready. If you do, your Bible studies will become stale and cold and lifeless. Read the Bible to meet with your Heavenly Father and let Him speak to your heart. And if you do that, every Bible study will just explode to life because you've been with Him. You've heard Him. And you're just a mouthpiece for Him. Right? So fall in love with him. You'll fall in love with his word. And the Holy Spirit of God will open your understanding to it. He'll do it. He absolutely will do it. So receive into your heart all my words that I speak to you and hear with your ears. Verse 11, go, get to the captives, to the children of your people, and speak to them and tell them, 
Thus says the Lord God, whether they hear or whether they refuse. This is another difficulty for us. I mean, we, we are so thin-skinned, and uh, we want approval so, so desperately that when we go and share something that's as important to us as the gospel, the, the word of God, and somebody rejects it, isn't it true we take it personally? And as soon as we do, do you understand, we grieve the Spirit's ability to use us because now it's all about us again. We have nothing to do with it. It's not about us. It's about him. And it's not about our love for people. That's another one. Well, I just love people so much. Stop it. You do not. The only people you love so much is you. Let's, come on, let's just get honest about it. You know, The only one who loves all those people perfectly is your Heavenly Father. And apart from his love working in us, we really have no love to give. And, and so if we're going to approach them, we've got to approach them because he loves them and because he's commissioned us and he's sent us and we've taken his word in and we've chewed on it and we've allowed it to become a part of us and we've waited and the spirit of God has sent us and told us who to go to. Ezekiel, I don't want you to go to the Babylonians that you live in the midst of. I don't want you going to any of the other Gentiles. I don't want you going to anybody but my people. It was specific. God knows who he's designed you to talk to. And he knows what opportunities he's raised up. And we need to be faithful to him, open to him, sensitive to him, so we know when to speak and when not to speak. And whether they hear or they don't hear, we're just faithful to tell them the truth. And then watch, verse 12, Then the Spirit lifted me up, and I heard behind me a great thunderous voice. Blessed is the glory of the Lord from his place. Man, I've never experienced this, and I want to experience this. But can you imagine seeking the Lord every day in the Word, seeking the Lord every day in prayer, seeking to surrender your life to the Lordship of Jesus and, and bringing your life into total agreement with him and the flow of his spirit and what he wants done. And God's got you prepared and you're ready to go. The word is just, just in your heart and is just waiting to come out, you know, and God's got his instrument. He's got his watchmen prepared. And as you're just waiting on the Lord, you haven't done anything yet other than just your fellowship with him, all of a sudden the heavens are opened and the angelic host, you begin to hear them declaring the wonderful, glorious things of God. I've not had that happen yet, but I want it, and I think the Lord's going to do it for me. I believe he will. It's going to come some moment where, where he's just going to open the heavens to me, and I'm going to hear the angelic chorus singing. I'm going to hear it. I believe it with all of my heart. Man, I'll have a song for us then, Rob. It's going to happen. And it's going to happen for you too. It's, God doesn't want to speak to or reveal his glory to just a select few. He wants the whole body of believers to take that in. And the only thing that stands in the way is our desires. What's really our priority? Are we really fully surrendered 
Are, are we really ready to say to him, God, from this moment on, I, I have absolutely no say in my life. I take no control over anything in my life. I want your perfect will to perfectly be done all the time. That's what I want. And just to see what God could do with one person who's willing to say that. Man. Blessed is the glory of the Lord from his place. I also heard the noise of the wings of the living creatures that touched one another and the noise of the wheels beside them and a great thunderous noise to, to, to realize Ezekiel at this moment. He's realizing, you know what? I, I am finally in that place. I'm discovering I'm in that place where I am actually in the moving of the very kingdom and throne of God. We all talk about, well, I'd, I would just love to see a move of the, of the Lord. You know, I want to see the move of the Holy Spirit. It's the wrong way to look at it. I, I get it. I understand it. But you know what? I want to be caught up in the move of the Holy Spirit. He's always moving. He's always doing something. He's always speaking. Jesus is always speaking. The Holy Spirit is always at work. I'm just indifferent to it or insensitive to it or too caught up in other things to be aware of it. And I want the Lord to take me to the place where I'm caught up in it. Where I just all of a sudden discovered that, wow, what is going on in heaven is now all of a sudden true in my own life. Thy will be done, right? Isn't that the way Jesus taught us to pray? Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Do you understand what comes with that? Lord, I'm just simply moving in to what is your unblemished will being accomplished, your glory being manifested amongst your angelic host. Lord, I just want to be drawn into that and to experience it. To know that I'm in your will. This must have been the most exciting thing for Ezekiel. You know, to be out there thinking, man, here I am hanging out by the river Chabar. I'm, I'm miles away from the temple. I'm miles away from my priesthood. I, I'm miles away from everything and anything that I can relate to the person of God. And he's having to learn that, hey, hey I'm God. I'm not limited to one place. I'm not limited to one city. I'm not limited to one culture. I'm God Almighty over all things. And Ezekiel, you're being here in captivity. You're being here in what you see as a limitation on your life. I designed it. And I designed you for it. I have a purpose and a plan for it. Ezekiel, I just need you to surrender to it. I need you to take my word and chew on it. Ezekiel, meditate on it. Let it take over your thoughts, your ambitions, and everything. And I'll open the heavens to you. And I'll show you things that you've only been able to dream about. And I'll draw you right into the glory of it. And I believe that's what happened on the day of Pentecost. I believe that's what's happened every time any one of us has had a special and wonderful and unique experience with the moving of the Spirit of God. That's what's happened. And it's just, I'm so thankful for those times, but I have to admit to you, they're far and few between. Not because that's his design, but that's my fault. Yeah, that's my fault. 
So the Spirit lifted me up, took me away. And whatever you do for the Lord tomorrow, you want the Holy Spirit to take you up. And you want the Holy Spirit to lead you. Not routine, but the Holy Spirit. And I went in bitterness, in the heat of my spirit. <laughs> uh, literally, the heat of my spirit is my anger. He was angry. Now, it's, it's sort of interesting that uh, this can happen to a lot of people as, as they begin to walk in the Spirit and the Word of God begins to take root in their heart. Anger can start to rise up as they see the unfairness of the world, the ungodliness of the world. Uh, you know, they, they discover. I know when I first got saved, I got angry because I, I, I was angry. I wasn't angry at God. I was angry at myself. And I was angry at people that I had looked up to and thought that they would have told me the truth. And yet all they did was contribute to my sin. You know, and they kind of went along with me in my sin. That made me angry. And, and God had to deliver me from that and, and show me, Jeff, why are you angry with them? I'm not angry at them. They're just being true to the nature that controls them. They need to be born again. So get over yourself, Jeff, and move on, right? And, and Ezekiel, a wonderful man of God, he had the same issues. He, he was angry. You know, he's probably angry at the Babylonians. He was probably angry at the Jews who had fallen into idolatry. He was probably angry at all kinds of different things. Maybe he was angry with himself that, oh man, I could have spoken up. I could have done something before we were taken out of Judea, you know. Who knows what he was angry about? He's angry. And watch what the Lord does. The hand of the Lord first was strong upon me. So he couldn't give vent to the anger. Right? And so I came to the captives at Tel Aviv, who dwelt by the river Chibar. And I sat where they sat and remained there astonished among them for seven days. Couldn't say anything, could do nothing but watch. You know, and, and another thing that has to happen if God is really going to use us, if we're really truly going to become effective watchmen, is we have to learn how to learn from one another. We, we have to learn how to understand what people are going through. We have to understand and we have to learn what challenges people, what breaks people's hearts, what frustrates people. What makes them angry? And before Ezekiel could be effective as a watchman for the Lord, he had to get over himself. Ezekiel, who are you angry at? Why are you angry? I've called you to be a priest. I've called you to be a prophet. I've called you to represent me. Ezekiel, have you seen me get angry with anybody? Well, no, Lord. <laughs> then you need to chill out. All right? And he sits him down. He says, I just, all I want you to do is get over yourself, and I want you to look at all of the people that I care so much about. I want you to watch them. I want you to see what bothers them, what causes them to be fearful, what causes them to get angry. I want you to look at them. I want you to, to be watchful about what distracts them, what, what pulls them off that narrow path that I've, that I've laid out for them. I want you to watch them. And, and in Ezekiel, I want you to just be still, be quiet, and watch. Because now Ezekiel's got to learn to see things the way God does. If we're going to be watchmen, we've got to see things 
the way God sees things. Because there are some things that I would look at, even as a believer, and I would say, well, that's not bad. And God says, are you kidding me? That's going to destroy that person's soul. You can't look at it the way you would look at it. I want you to see through my eyes, he's teaching Ezekiel. I want you to see things the way I see them so that you can give that word of warning. All right. We have so much to learn, don't we? I love and hate this chapter at the same time. It just, it exposes me. It exposes me. I, I've learned a lot. I, I thank the Lord for that. But boy, every time I read this chapter, I realize, oh, Lord, I am so far from where I need to be. And, and I know he's going to complete that good work. He's going to get me there in his time, his way. So I sat where they sat. You know, be willing to do that. When you're, when you're talking with people, when you're sitting down with people, don't feel that you always have to have the answer. Don't feel that you always have to give correction. Sometimes you don't talk to them seriously about the cross and the person of Christ the first time you're with them, the second time you're with them. First, you've got to get to know them. Find out why they believe what they believe. Find out why things bother them the way they bother them. Find out where they're coming from. People are so wonderful. They're so interesting. And what bothers and really irritates one person to another person doesn't matter at all. Some person has been brought up in a household loved and provided for. And the, and the, you know, the world is just their cherry, you know, just to be picked. Another person has been abused in their childhood, has struggled through all of their childhood. And so they grow up and they're looking at the world through a whole different set of eyes and they see the world as a threat. They see the world as always a potential problem and threat against them. And, and we try to go and talk with them and present the gospel to everybody exactly the same way. We can't do it. Jesus didn't do that. He met them where they were. He took the time to get to know them. And then he spoke the truth to them, a truth that they could relate to and respond to, a truth that was pertinent to their case. Their situation, he had that way of getting right into their heart and saying, this is the issue with you. And this is what I'll do. This is how this can be remedied. This is how this can be fixed. But we've got to spend that time with the Lord. And we've got to spend that time in the Word. And we've got to wait for Him and wait upon Him. And let Him open the heavens so that we can come into agreement with and into the flow of what the Lord is doing through His Spirit. And sometimes the Holy Spirit, the most spiritual thing that we can do is just to sit in the midst of people and be quiet and watch them. Are you a people watcher? There is nothing on television. There isn't a movie made as fun and as interesting as just sitting someplace where there's a mass of people around who don't know you're watching them and just watch them. I love it. When, when we were in California one day, we were able to go out to the pier at Huntington Beach and, uh, and we just sat out there for a while and just watched people. We had so much fun. Look at that guy over there. He's stoned out of his mind. And he was. He was out there, and he, all he had was a, a pair of bongos, right? 
and, and then he had a coffee mug out there so you could throw money in it. I think most people threw money in there to get him to stop. <laughs> you know, not, not because what he was doing was like, and he's just watching this guy and he playing along and then he would make up a song and sing it. It was just, it was insanity, you know, but it was fun to watch him. And, and then, you know, he'd stop and he'd light up a joint and he'd sit right out there on the pier and just, you know, hey, life is good, man. You know, life is good. You know, you know Jesus? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I know Jesus. You know, no sense in trying to talk with this guy. This guy was in another world. He, he was gone. And, and, and to watch other people, watch little kids, you know, running around out there on the pier and moms panicking because they lose sight of their child, you know. Amazing. People are awesome. Do you love people? You better, they're created in the likeness and the image of your God. You got to love people. And people will know when you really love them and care for them. And if they think that you don't care for them, they'll not listen to a word you have to say, no matter how true it is. But if they think that you might be just someone who does really care, they'll listen. Because people are looking for answers. They are. They're looking for answers. They're hurting. They're lost. They know they're lost. All of the busyness is just their effort to cover that up, to hide from it. And the only one that's going to give them peace is the Prince of Peace. And the only one that's going to give them truth is the one who's the way, the truth, and the life. The only one that can satisfy their desire not to be forgiven, but to forgive themselves. Do you understand how powerful guilt is? Man. And you and I can go to somebody and say, I forgive you. And, and we need to do that. But that has nowhere near, excuse me, the effect on them that knowing they can forgive themselves because God has forgiven them. That's powerful. That's, that's freeing. So motivated by guilt. So he remained there astonished among them seven days. Now it came to pass at the end of seven days, finally, the word of the Lord came to me. Again, don't, don't, you know, don't feel that you can rush God. You can't rush God. You can go to him, Lord, I've got to have an answer right now, and you're probably not going to get it. Uh, and, and not because he doesn't know the answer, and not because he's being cruel, but... Usually, God doesn't give the answer until he's prepared us to respond to the answer. Right? That's, that's his concern. And so it's always an issue of the heart. Lord, I need to understand this. Okay, well, let me give you a heart that's willing to accept it first. Right? Lord, I, I, I need to love this person. <laughs> okay, let me give you a heart that understands how much I love them first. And then... The other will come, you know. We we want we want the Lord to kind of be like our spiritual Wegmans, you know. We can just go and pick stuff off the shelf that we think we need, and the Lord's not 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 playing that game with you. 
I know what I want to do with you, and I know who you are better than you do, and I know what you really need, and I know what's coming in your life, and I'm the only one that can prepare you for it. You need more of me. You need just more time in with me. Spend time with me. So he, it, it, it comes to pass at the end of seven days that Ezekiel's just been sitting there watching the people by the river Chabar, just watching. That the word of the Lord comes to him saying, Son of man, I have made you a watchman for the house of Israel. Therefore, hear a word from my mouth and give them warning from me. Now, you know what's interesting to me is I don't hear Ezekiel anywhere in the first three chapters saying, Lord, you know what I think we need? I think we need a watchman. And Lord, if you don't have anyone else in mind, I think I'd be a pretty good candidate right here. I think I want to be a watchman. That's what I want to do. Ezekiel never asked for it. God didn't offer it to him. God didn't even tell him what he was doing when he was preparing him for it. All of this has happened, and Ezekiel has no idea that this is what God's going to do. And then all of a sudden, he gets him to just sit and be still for seven days and just watch. Just watch the people. Oh, Lord, what a waste of time. I mean, these people need help. These people need instruction. These people need encouragement. These people need to be challenged. These people, you know, on and on and on. And, 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 and the Lord is saying, but you know what? That's the job of a prophet. And, and I know you hold the office of a prophet, but that's not what I need from you right now. Well, these people need to get right with you. They need to understand the necessity of the shedding of blood. They need to know the, the, the necessity for the altar and the work of the priesthood and everything. And at Ezekiel, I get that. You are a priest, and I understand that. I, I see that. But that's not what I have determined these people need right now. Right now, these people need a watchman. And Ezekiel, I've made you a watchman. Do you like that? I have made you a watchman. I didn't ask you. You didn't volunteer. You didn't cooperate. You didn't train. I trained you. You didn't go to school. I schooled you in life, right here, right now. And now go be a watchman. Be a watchman. And the challenge for me, again, is, you've heard me say it before, I think one of the most necessary spiritual giftings and offices for the church today is the need for New Testament prophets. I really believe that. I think another gift that is absolutely, the church is short on it, I'm not saying God's provision isn't there, but we've not responded to it, and I think it's discernment. You know, and discernment is not climbing into someone else's head and knowing what they're thinking. It's discerning of spirits. Having that sensitivity as to whether the Holy Spirit is at work or an evil spirit is at work. And the church is confused about that. We need people with the discerning of spirits. We need people with knowledge. A word of knowledge that can take the Bible and say, 
the answer to your issue right now is right here. The Bible says this. And we need people that have the word of wisdom. And wisdom is simply taking the knowledge of God and knowing how to apply it. Helping people to discover how do I apply that to my life. Right? Uh, we need it in the church today. The rest of it will come if, if we get the church healthy. And I understand that that's God's work. That's the work of Jesus. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. But we have to surrender to it. And listen, you know, one of the things that I have a problem with is admitting that I'm sick enough to go to the doctor. Lynn goes crazy because I'll die before I have to go to the hospital or the doctor. You've got to drag me in. Right? And I pray we're not that way spiritually. Because if we are, we're going to miss out on so much. And so tonight, if, if you uh, would let me, let's, let's pray together that the Lord would help us to just come to him. And, and, and Lord, show me my own heart. Lord, have I been something and done something in the past for you? Like Ezekiel, I've been a priest, and I've been a prophet, and I'm comfortable with that. I could, I could just do that until you come. But maybe the Lord wants to do something brand new in you, something that you've never thought of before. Are you willing? Are you willing to let him upset your life so that he can make your life right with him? You see? Are we willing to let the Lord determine who we speak to and when we speak to them and what we speak to them? So that what gets said gets said in love and with the power of the Spirit behind it. Are we willing to love people as much as he does and sometimes just become people watchers? Just watch them. For you guys that have a sense that God's called to do ministry within the church, you better become people watchers and people lovers. Spend so much time just watching them that you get to know what every kind of smile means. Get to know what the wrinkles in the forehead means. Get to know your people. Know what fear looks like in their face. Concern, anger, frustration. Get to know it. You've got to be a watchman. So you can warn them. Hey, man, the enemy's after you, bro. Don't, don't let them have you. You need to stand your ground. Hey, the enemy's after you. He's condemning you. you you're not free right now. You're so wrapped up in guilt. The blood of Jesus Christ will cleanse you. Just confess the sin and turn from it, and God will forgive you of everything and anything. Watch him. Watch the people around you who aren't believers because they'll give themselves away too. We don't know how to approach them because we don't give ourselves time to get to know them. You don't have to become their best friends. Just watch them. And you begin to see what controls their life. And then pray. Pray. 
And when the Lord says now, he'll give you the right word to share with them. He'll do that. So, Father, uh, we do, Lord, see the need for it. Father, I, I'm thankful, Lord, that you set a watchman on the wall in my life. Father, before I ever knew you, Lord, you had raised up a man that watched me and didn't say much of anything to me. But when he did finally speak, Lord, he was able to get me to consider things and listen to things that I would have never listened to or considered before. <laughs> Father, he got me to sit down and, and let him read the Bible to me and explain things to me from the Bible. And Lord, I discovered I was enjoying it. Father, he was a watchman, Lord. He didn't speak to me about things that didn't touch my life. He was able to speak things to me that, that just hit me right where I lived. He knew what I was in danger of. He knew the threat that was coming against me. He knew how close I was to making a decision that would have eternally separated me from you. So I thank you for him, Lord. And Father, I want to be like him. And I, I think we all recognize, Lord, we, we need to be watchmen. Watchmen, Father, for our marriages, our families. Watchmen on the wall, Father, for the body of Christ that you've set us in. Watchmen on the wall, even for those that maybe are taking shelter within the walls of, of your city, and yet they're not born again, Lord, to be watchmen for them. And Father, you've told us that we need to be watchful. Because we don't know when you're going to return, Lord. And Father, we don't want to be found wasting our opportunities away, wasting your grace away. Fulfilling the lust of the flesh, living selfishly, Lord, and allowing our selfishness to divide us. Lord, we don't want to get caught up in that and be found living that way when you return. And so, Lord, cause us to be watchful over our own hearts. And to pray, Lord, with the psalmist. Search my heart, O God. And see if there be any wicked way in me. And then lead me in paths of righteousness for your namesake, Lord, please. Fill us with your spirit, Lord, this week. Make us aware. And Father, Help us, Lord, to receive and respond to your word. Write it deeply in our hearts and upon our minds, Father. Lord, that from our hearts and minds would come forth the words of life and truth. Lord, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.